they are aggressively ordering him to stop. And he absolutely would have no idea why that would be happening. And they certainly aren't identifying themselves as police and they aren't dressed as police and they aren't in a police vehicle. And he may very well have seen that they were both armed. We need a thorough police investigation, and that should have happened from the beginning. And the fact that it didn't was wrong and certainly justifies people's outrage. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones, and they create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer of CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. Jim, we are still in lockdown. We are still on opposite sides of the country. Yes, Francie, we are. And unfortunately, we're here to talk about yet another worst-case scenario. And it's very worst-case this time. It is. It's disturbing. It's fatal. And it can't be undone. And I think it brings up a lot of really fundamental issues that we should deal with. And this is the case of the killing of Ahmad Arbery, 25-year-old African-American male in your state. That's right. South Georgia, Brunswick, Georgia. It's a, I've been there many times. It's on what's called the Gold Coast of Georgia. It's uh, on, on the way to what are called the Golden Isles. That is St. Simon's Island and Jekyll Island, which are sort of the playground of everybody in the state, you know, you know middle class uh, and above and below. Everyone loves it. It's, Brunswick is a very nice, diverse community, lots of middle class jobs. Well, there used to be lots of middle-class jobs anyway before the coronavirus locked everyone down. But Jim, this really hits close to me because I was an assistant district attorney just a couple hours away in a small county called Doherty County, which is Albany, Georgia. Um, Mm -hmm. Just a couple, literally, I mean, it may only be 90 minutes away from Brunswick where I was a prosecutor. And so this really hits close to home to me that you have a killing that happened a couple of months ago. And yet we're only just now hearing about it and no one's been charged and no one's been held accountable. And the circumstances of it all are very disturbing. They are very disturbing. And let's start with the beginning. I mean, we are talking about Brunswick, Georgia, which is rural Georgia, which is deep south, if I'm not mistaken. And apparently this entire incident started when a man saw Ahmad Arbery jogging down his street and called out his son and his friend to get their guns and let's go chase them. The thing about that man, though, 
is that he's a former investigator, a former law enforcement officer. And damn it, he should have known better. But the fact is that he claimed, and we don't know the details of it, but he claimed that Arbery fit the description of a person who had been breaking in to homes in the neighborhood. And my question to him is, how did he fit the description? Okay, one, he's a human being. Okay, so that's the first thing. Two, he's an African-American human being. Okay, my feeling is, I haven't heard about it anymore, and I could be wrong, but my feeling is that's all it took. He was African-American, they knew, they thought they knew an African-American was breaking into houses, so that's all they needed to fit the description. He didn't say, hey, that guy is exactly the same, wearing exactly the same clothes, he looks exactly like him, I recognize his face, I saw a picture of him, any of that stuff. He just said, he's black, let's go. And to me, that is ultimately the epitome of racism, and it should stop in this country. What the fuck? Well, Jim, you know, I, I try not to throw around the racism word because I don't know that man and I don't know what's in his heart and I don't know what his intentions were. But that's what the law and that's what prosecution and that's what investigation are supposed to be able to tell us. What was mm-hmm. the intent? Why did someone commit what looks to be a crime? It looks to be a terrible crime, the worst crime, murder. I can say that just today we've had a couple of 911 calls released that don't really shed any light, but they were people and it's not clear to me whether it was these same men. So there were actually three men, all white, involved in sort of chasing down Ahmad Arbery. One was a father and son, and one was a friend of theirs. So I don't know whether it was them calling 911, there were two calls, or whether it was completely someone else. But there was a report on one of the 911 calls of a person who was obviously, we now know, Ahmad Arbery, quote, looking around a house under construction. And the dispatcher asks, well, what are they doing wrong? Is the house closed? Are they not allowed to be there? And the person on the other end says, well, it's under construction. Well, I got to tell you, Jim, I've been through plenty of homes under construction sites in lots of subdivisions. It's very common for people to walk around and say things like, oh, I'd like to have that in my house or what. This is not that unusual. And it is certainly not a killing offense. No. And I, I, when I, in LA, I, my house in LA, I wanted to try to find a place that was higher up on the hill with a better view. And I was told by my real estate agent that one was coming up soon. And I saw work being done on a house that had a spectacular view. And I walked up and I looked into the window. And a few minutes later, the owner showed up in his car and said he'd gotten a thing from his security camera that I was looking in. I said, absolutely. I can't wait till you put it on the market. He said, no, I just bought it. I was like, oh, man, my real estate agent said that it was coming on the market soon. And we resolved it. He didn't shoot me. He was African-American and I'm white. But that's not what happened here. And somebody looking into a construction site is not a crime. There is no crime of looking into a house under construction. If he had to climb over a fence and it said, keep out, you know, and all these other things, none of which were stated in this case, he's looking into his house, perhaps he was thinking about, hey, maybe I'll be able to buy that house one day, or maybe this is the house we can settle into, whatever. He has a right to do that. And I can't, I cannot for a minute separate race from this situation, because I think that if he was white, that these men would have had to have more distinguishing features before they said he fit the description. You might be right, Jim. I mean, I, I just don't know. And we ha- I know, but we have to stop thinking of the black 
race as one person, as one type, as one entity. There are millions, tens of millions of different types of people who happen to have skin that isn't white. Hundreds I, of millions. I agree with you completely, Jim. Let's tell our listeners, especially those who are outside the country, who may not have seen this, who may not have seen the news and even some inside the country. The reason that we're talking about this today is because there is a videotape of this killing of Ahmad Arbery. It is on video. And so everyone is talking about it, even though it happened a few months ago, no one's been arrested, certainly no one's been prosecuted or convicted. And so you've got a couple of 911 calls, and then all we know, Jim, is on a sunny afternoon in South Georgia, all of a sudden a video from a phone goes on. And you've got what I'll call sort of the chase vehicle and the main vehicle. And you've got two men, a father and a son, who are armed in the main vehicle. You've got one man, I don't know if he's armed, in the chase vehicle, but he starts his cell phone camera. And what we see is the man we know now, 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery, is running down the middle of the street. He's jogging down the middle of the street. And I think we should we should distinguish between running. Running sounds like he could be running away. He is casually jogging down the middle of the street. And as the street curves around, it's clear that he notices this white pickup truck. There is a man standing in the open door with the door open. The truck is towards the right side of the street. So the door is open past the middle of the street. So, uh, you know, almost two thirds of the street is now blocked by this vehicle. And there's a man standing in the doorway. There's another man standing in the back of the bed of the truck. And that could be the father, it appears to me. Yeah, that's apparently what it is. And as Ahmad is jogging, he realizes that there's a guy standing in front of him in the doorway of this truck. He looks to be facing Ahmad coming up the street. And so you could see Ahmad's sort of almost lanky movement to the right, where he actually goes around. Now, this at this point, the video, the camera is tilted down and Ahmad's going around the truck to the right. You can then hear some loud screaming. And then the camera is righted again. And almost immediately from the time that Ahmad would have reached the front of the truck, you see one man who's holding a shotgun backing into into the frame. He was blocked by the truck up until that point, backing into the frame, pointing the shotgun at Ahmad, who is struggling with him. They look like they both have their hands on the shotgun, that the shotgun is pointed in Ahmad's direction, and they are moving towards the left. Before that happens, we hear a shot go off, which to me means that there was a finger on a trigger. And I, th I think that's a good conclusion, Jim. What's incredibly important to know about that is that no human being can outrun bullets. If somebody's going to pull a trigger on you, you don't protect yourself by running away. In fact, what you do is just present the target. And you can't outrun the bullet. The bullet can always outrun you. So what my brother Tim, who's a, a sniper and an FBI SWAT guy, he always says, if you're going to try to stop a shooter, you have to rush the shooter rather than run away from the shooter. So in this case, rushing the guy with the gun is his only hope if, if Ahmad feels his life is at danger here. And clearly, given the results, his life was in danger. And so... It's not an aggressive move to charge the guy with the gun. Having a gun and demanding someone stay still, in my mind, is the aggressive move. 
But that's yeah. the dispute, right, Jim? I mean, that's the dispute here is that you've got the men saying that he was aggressive and they were defending themselves. And that forms the crux of this. And you had, you know, the struggle across the front of the vehicle. There's some, you can't see what's happening. Two more shots from the shotgun. It's horrifying to watch on video. And then poor Ahmad staggers forward and away from the man with the shotgun and falls and dies. And and then the video ends. It, it, it's just a horrific thing to watch. It's all over the internet. But right. what I wanted to ask you about, Jim, were some of these, these issues about the case itself, what we can see on the video, what we can't see on the video. And then I want to talk very much about the prosecution and what the DAs have been doing in this case. Okay. But before we get there, I want to go through the rest of the video and also pull out uh, some more details. You did say that the crux of the issue is who was the aggressor here. The fact is, that these people, these men, were not police officers. They are people, citizens, and one of them got out of the truck with a shotgun and went around the front of the truck to meet Ahmad when he was trying to go. He was avoiding them. That, to me, answers the question of aggression. He did not charge this guy. He avoided the guy, and maybe even before he knew he had a gun. So to me, that is a critical point that has to be weighed. They're not police officers. They're not in uniform. They're not in a marked vehicle. All those things, if they were those things, would have, could have reduced the anxiety of somebody who is out for a jog, who is then confronted by somebody who clearly is blocking the road. He does an avoiding maneuver to get away from this person. And yet that person then crosses around the door, across the front of the car, and engages with them. To me, as I explained before, you cannot protect yourself against the gun by running away. Well, I can promise you, Jim, that I don't know that in my head. If someone points a gun at me, I'm probably going to turn and run because I don't have years in Tim Clementi's training. So I don't I don't know that um, Ahmad Arbery knew to rush someone with a gun. But you're right that it appears to me that he is trying to avoid the man getting out of the driver's side of the truck armed with a shotgun. By Whether he saw it or not, we'll never know, by going to the right of the truck. But to me, what's also significant is you had a man armed with a handgun the older man, the former DA's office investigator, who's standing in the bed of the truck. Now, right. it's South Georgia. Everybody's got a truck. And people do ride in the beds of trucks, but they don't stand around in the back of the truck with a handgun in their hand, shouting at joggers. And that's what was happening. They were, I think, w what they said later, and what it does sound to me on the video, you can barely hear it, was they were shouting at him to stop. Now, they had no right to do that. They There's some absurd claim we're not even going to talk about, about a citizen's arrest, the law of which in Georgia is very clear. This does not meet the definition. That is an absurd claim. If you're going to invoke a citizen's arrest, it has to be a felony committed in your presence, or you have to be they're, they use another kind of innocuous word, but you have to be, you have to have substantial information that a crime was committed. You can't just say, well, I think there was a crime and I think this is the guy, so I'm going to make a citizen's arrest. That does not actually invoke that law. No, it doesn't, meet the it doesn't meet the definition. It is absurd. And I can promise you that if two men in a truck approach me while I'm out walking and are armed and tell me to stop, I'm not stopping. I'm exactly. going to flee as fast as I can away from them. And and for you, 
the, the analogous situation might be for you if you were in a all black community and you were white going through there and there was two black men on a truck with guns. You would be frightened for your life. You would be running for your life. Well, I'd be running for my life regardless of the gender or the race of the people in the truck. I, I would be it, running but, from but, armed people in a truck. I'd be running. But, but when you're talking about an African-American male and two white males and he's jogging and he is not hurting anybody and he's trying to avoid these people in the truck and they are aggressively ordering to him to stop. And he absolutely would have no idea why that why that would be happening. And they certainly aren't identifying themselves as police and they aren't dressed as police and they aren't they aren't in a police vehicle. And they he may very well have seen that they were both armed. There's a fight or flight response that happens. And he chose apparently he chose fight. And that resulted in them being pushed into the frame, going from right to left. And you can see that you could hear a, a shot going off while they were still in front of the vehicle. You can see them struggling with the weapon going off screen to the left, and another shot goes off. And then as they come back into frame, into the center of the frame, you can see the fatal final shot going off. And Ahmad trying to run away and staggering and falling. It's horrific. I mean, it's a, watching a murder. It's It's absolutely... It's certainly, I'll say this, it's certainly a homicide, right? It's another human, one human being killing another human being. It's a homicide. If it's illegal, then it's a murder. And, and, you know, I agree. It has to be an investigation. But to not present this to a grand jury, to make a determination that this is a self-defense and these people were well within their their rights to self-defense without literally any real investigation uh, it just it well it tears my so heart, heart agree, to know agreed. family has to deal with that no it's horrifying i feel terrible for the victims and you know jim you and i are both very strong victims advocates and ultimately no matter what the truth is arbery's family uh, are victims because they've lost their loved one so let's talk about georgia law and let's talk about things like grand jury there's a lot of misinformation and people who just don't know what they're talking about online, including politicians all over this country who are talking about this is just a lynching and they're using very racially charged language and posting photographs of the men who were responsible for Ahmad's killing all over the internet. Um, I do not support mob justice, whatever side it is on. I do not support this. And what people need to understand is a couple of things. First, the fact that the district attorney of that county did not, of Brunswick, did not take the case of the grand jury. Two things. One, apparently the guy thought that it was a lawful killing and he had no intention of bringing a prosecution. I do not agree with that. I do not think that is a defensible position. But secondly, with respect to grand jury, because that person had to recuse himself because of connections in the case. The second district attorney who was appointed over to oversee the case as like a conflict attorney also had to resign from overseeing the case because of the connection with the former DA's investigator, that's the father, who was in the bed of the truck 
And now the new person assigned has said he's going to take the case to grand jury. And people are railing about why aren't, haven't you already taken the case to grand jury? So two things. One, when I was in the Albany District Attorney's Office in Doherty County, grand jury only sat every other month. That is when grand jury sat. You couldn't get a case indicted until you had a grand jury. And that is a complicated process. You can't just you know, ask the first uh, 18 citizens to come walking in and sit for grand jury. It's a process and there are roles and they have to be called and subpoenaed and excuses and all that made. So every other month is not strange. And what I've read is that this fell on a month where there was no grand jury. And when it was time to call a grand jury and if anyone intended to do it, I'm not saying they did, but if they had, we were in lockdown from the coronavirus. And so no grand juries. Court is not having grand jury right now. There are other court processes, but not grand jury. Now, all that being said, nobody fill up my inbox and say, Francie, you know, why can't he just charge them? Well, they can. In Georgia, there are two ways to charge someone with a felony. Take a case to grand jury and ask the grand jurors to do it or see whether the grand jurors want to do it or charge by accusation. And you can do that as a district attorney in Georgia. But I can tell you that when it comes to sensitive cases like this, political cases, I, I'm not sure I ever had an elected district attorney who was courageous enough to charge the case. They want to send it to grand jury and let the citizens decide, which, you know, you can make an argument on both sides about whether that's a good idea or not. But that, that's sort of a microcosm of what is happening in Georgia and whether or not it should go to grand jury. How do they convene the grand jury? What is the makeup of the grand jurors? Grand jurors are, are pulled from the same roles that pettit jurors are, that jurors, jurors that sit on the criminal trial. Same roles. They just get called every other month. A certain number of them get summonses sent out, just like you do for jury duty. It's a, just a different kind of jury duty. I understand. But how do they get chosen? I know how the process is for jurors. It's just completely random. A certain number of people are chosen. They're sent to summons saying they have to come in to sit on a grand jury. There's always a few extra selected because some have medical excuses and other reasons they, they can't come in, but it's just completely random from the voter rolls. And then is there exemptions and... There are. If you're over the age of 65, you can be, I think it's 65, you can be exempt from sitting on any kind of a jury. And once this number of people that get called are brought into the room, whatever that requisite number is, what is that number? 18. Okay, so once these 18 are in there, are there any questions asked of them? Are you biased? Do you care about this? Do you know about this? Are you racist? Are you an alcoholic? Have you been convicted of a crime? Any of those well, things? Convicted of a crime, you can't sit on a grand jury. So that would be something that they would have filled out in, in their forms when they came in first. But no, they're not. it's not the same as a jury. It, it is, it is not, they're not asked about bias. They're not asked if they know anything about any specific cases, although they're told that if they, if they do have a conflict, they're supposed to alert the court or the district attorney about it. And so okay. one of the other things I wanted to tell you, Jim, was that someone you and I know is involved now in this investigation. Really? 
Yes. And his name is Vic Reynolds. We interviewed him. Gosh, it's probably been a year and a half now for a very difficult child homicide case they tried in my home county of Cobb County. And Vic Reynolds was the district attorney. Before that, he was a judge and a defense attorney. Now, though, he is the head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, which is the FBI for Georgia. Most states have their own state sort of, not state police, but state investigative agency. The GBI is very well respected. And the governor announced that the GBI would be sent to assist in the investigation of this case. And I feel very confident in Vic Reynolds, who has a very strong perspective on both the prosecution and the defense side, and is one of the fairest people I've ever known. Well, Francie, your assessment is absolutely correct, because as we speak at 8.41 p.m. Eastern Time, CNN is reporting that two men involved in the fatal shooting of Ahmad Arbery have been arrested by GBI. They, Gregory McMichael and his son, Travis McMichael, were taken into custody and will be booked into the Glynn County Jail, the GBI said Thursday evening. And I'm just going to read this just because I think this is really critical information that according to Glynn County Police Report, Gregory McMichael, 64, later told officers that he thought Aubrey looked like a person suspected in a series of recent break ins in the area. After they chased down Aubrey, McMichael told police Aubrey and Travis McMichael, 34, struggled over his son's shotgun. Gregory McMichael said two shots were fired before Aubrey fell to the street. In fact, we know it was three. The report said, in a video of the incident, three shots can be heard before Aubrey is seen stumbling and falling to the ground. So they made the arrest. This is exactly what should have been done two months earlier. I will give the benefit of the doubt that the coronavirus and the lack of a grand jury at the time may have delayed some of this, but I'm so glad that the GBI got involved. And that's basically the state police of Georgia, right? Well, there's the there's the Georgia State Patrol, which is sort of the patrol okay. officers. The GBI is strictly investigation and lab. So they're the forensic lab for Georgia for all criminal cases is also run by the GBI. Okay, but they are sort of the state detectives. Yes, they're the FBI, but specifically for Georgia. All right. They have different jurisdiction than local police. And it's generally they come in if there's a conflict or police misconduct is alleged. That's when the GBI gets called in. And here, Jim, I'm so glad to hear this, but you're so right. There's no excuse for these two not to have been arrested when this killing happened. Now, we've explained probably why the where there's been no indictment, why there's been no grand jury. But that does not explain why they were not arrested. It's apparent that the police did not arrest. They thought they should leave it up to the district attorney whether or not charges should be brought. The original district attorney didn't think they should bring any charges. And so they never got arrested. And I think that really adds to the public's very strong and justified outrage at what looks like special treatment in a racially, potentially racially motivated killing. And that is where the outrage, I think, is justified here. Right. And and look at the flip side of that as well. I mean, you're talking about they didn't get arrested and it looks like special treatment for these white guys, one of whom had worked for the district attorney's office before. But if you look at the flip side of that, Francie, it also reeks of undermining the value of the life of Ahmed Arbery, undermining his value. If he was somebody who was wealthy and white 
and from a prominent family, I just don't think the same response, irrespective of the race of the shooter, would have been, let's not even do an investigation. Let's not even bring them in for questioning and arrest them and interrogate them and find out how they could possibly justify this. I mean, when he says this, Ahmed was jogging in a neighborhood outside Brunswick when Gregory Michael, a former police officer, he was actually a DA's investigator and his son chased him down. But he said that he that he told the police Arbery looked like a person suspected in a series of recent break-ins. Looks like. I know. It, it looks, listen, Jim, I don't defend this. I really don't. I think, though, that, you know, I know how small town Georgia works and there is, uh, I, I, I cannot argue that there's not a racial component when you're talking about the life of the victim and the way that they treated these two offenders. It certainly looks that way. But it also looks like and potentially may instead be that this was a former DA's office investigator. He just retired last year. This is a small town. He probably knew the cops that responded to the call after the shooting and who came to the scene. And those cops would have trusted his word when he says that the offender who could no longer defend himself, and when I say offender, that's the language McMichael would have used, not that I'm using. When McMichael said, we're chasing an offender we suspect was engaged in burglary, You can kind of understand, especially if the police had had a long time working relationship with him, which is likely, given his position as a DA's office investigator, they might have believed him. Again, I I just want to make it very clear. I'm not trying to excuse what looks to me to be inexcusable. They should have been arrested at the scene and then taken statements, figure it all out, look at that video, and then forward it to the DA's office to decide about charges. I understand all that. But it... So it looks like special treatment, but it may not be special treatment based on the race of the I get the, it. The, it may not be special wielder. treatment based on the race, but it is special treatment. And yes, that's agreed. that's the circumstance under which you recuse yourself if you know this yes. guy. And you don't yes. just go and that's why there are internal investigations in police departments. That's why yes. there is separate uh, units that actually handle that because this is a very sensitive area when a police officer or former police officer commits an act of homicide then that person actually has a higher responsibility than the general public agreed now in this case the former police officer didn't pull the trigger but he did call the person who did his son into action told him yes. to bring a gun he did the and whole no- thing i mean that to me the the most important thing is that this whole thing could have been avoided this right. was so unnecessary, this killing. It's horrifying. It's not armed robbery. No. And so there's no need for two guns. No. There's no need for a shotgun in this situation. It's overkill by miles. And the fact is, if he actually thought he was, then he could have driven his truck and rolled down the window and asked the questions. Yeah. Who and are you? What are you doing in this neighborhood? Right. How about that? And if Arbery had said, go to hell, then he should very well have let him go. He could have followed him to his home. He could have done whatever he wanted. He could have called the police. Yes, the and they should that, have called the police. Yes. Right. They should have called the police and stepped away, not called the police and pulled out guns on a citizen of the United States. Every citizen, every single one, no matter what you look like or what you're doing, they have a right to life. That's the point. And when you're taking out a life-threatening object, a gun and a shotgun, and you're 
approaching somebody and demanding they stay still and stop. And even if they said it in the kindest way, which I know they didn't because I can hear it in the background. No, they're shouting. They're shouting at him. You are threatening that person. It's an immediate and imminent threat. And so if Arbery actually had a gun and shot one of them, he's the one that would have been defending himself. But well, the and- person who lays in wait is not. And I have to I have to say this. A person who lays in wait, who's armed, who sees somebody trying to avoid them, who then goes towards that person with that gun, telling you, by definition, that's aggressive. Well, that is aggressive, Jim. And I have to say, this does look to me to be an unjustified killing. But I want to say one last thing. And that is there are a lot of people, as I said earlier, a lot of politicians weighing in, a lot of interest groups weighing in, calling it a lynching and saying you've even had sports stars weighing in and saying that these men went to hunt this guy down just to kill him. And and I suppose we could learn that that's true. I suppose it could be true. But most people, Jim, you and I know from our careers, do not film themselves committing a crime. It's pretty stupid. And the guy in the follow-on truck filmed this crime. And so it it seems to me unlikely that they chased him down with the intent to kill him. That doesn't mean that they're any less culpable of the killing if it was unjustified. I'm just saying this idea of hunting a black man down is needlessly provocative when you already have provocative facts here because you have a black man who's dead. You've got two white men who, at least one of whom is responsible for it, an in absolutely inadequate police investigation, DA's office shenanigans. It's bad enough. Let's not make it worse. Okay. And I just want to address what you said. I agree that I don't believe that these two men went out with the intent of hunting down and killing Arbery. I don't believe that there was an indication of that because if that were the case, I believe they could have much more easily accomplished that goal by staying in the truck, firing the weapon at him, and leaving it at that. I believe they wanted to make an arrest and I believe they wanted to threaten him with the guns to keep him still, but you do not have a right to do that. To, to disturb the peace of a, of a wonderful human being who's literally out jogging on a beautiful day in, in his county, in his state, he has every right to be there. But I want to address the filming. The guy who pulled the trigger may not have had any idea that it was being filmed. No idea at all. So he could very well have had all the intent in the world not knowing that the guy behind him that they had called into action was actually filming it. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I do agree. But the reason why people are using the term lynching is because it does call back, I mean, many cases in which white men and pickup trucks in the Deep South attacked and killed black men because they perceived them having committed some some crime or some horrific act in their mind that turns out to be something as simple for Emmett Till as maybe whistling at a white woman when you're 13 years old and black and you being literally beaten to death because of it. I mean, horrifically disfigured because of it. Yes. So, and you so know, a history as here. And there's wait. a history. And, and so, yes, I agree. We should not be exacerbating that history. But when you look at the details, I think we know better what happened because we can actually see most of it going down. But uh, 
as I said, the two critical things that I saw was that when Arbery was confronted with a truck with at least two white men standing up, one by the front door, one in the back bed, he avoided them. He did not go for them. And it wasn't until the son came around the front with his shotgun, clearly with his finger somewhere near the trigger because that shotgun went off. This this is an aggressive move. Yes, it seems menacing. And I, I do not dispute what it seems like. I do not dispute what it looks like. It looks like an unlawful killing of a human being. And the GBI has certainly now, at least they believe there's probable cause to believe that there was an unlawful killing of a human being. And so I'm, I'm, I'm horrified that this happened in Georgia. And while I'm very well aware, having grown up here, of our state's history of racism and the difficulty uh, in racial issues. This is a very diverse state, Georgia is. Stacey Abrams, who's an African-American woman, came within a point or two of winning the governor's race back in 2016. So this is not a state that welcomes racism. It may have in our distant past. It certainly does not now. This does not reflect the majority of Georgians. What was in the heart of these men, I have no idea. I hope we'll find out, and certainly a thorough investigation will go a lot farther than the one that we've had so far, which is almost nothing. But I do not like for people to immediately say that just because you've got white people and and someone black is dead, it's necessarily racism. Again, it might be. I'm not discounting it. I I just don't know that. I agree. And I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you, uh, Georgia. I know a bunch of people who, who are from Georgia, including yourself and your husband and many other people there as well. And I know that it is not a racist state. But I do also know that in almost every state, there are racist people. And Yes, I and, agree with that 100%. And these could be racist people. And their actions tell me that they may not be outwardly racist people. They may simply not, they may look at when they hear that a black person could have committed a crime, any black person to them could have committed that crime. And that is a fundamentally racist view. You cannot lump everybody into that category. And it appears that that's exactly what happened to Arbery. He did not commit crimes if somebody saw him looking into a house under construction, that is not a crime. And as you said earlier, many people do that. I've certainly done it. You've done it. It's 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 a point of interest. I love to see how things are done. I I walk every night in my neighborhood and look at the houses that are under construction. There are there are new components in the way they're building and the way they insulate and how how they lay out the rooms. Those things are interesting. And so people do it. But to immediately assume because he's black that that is a crime. There's nothing in there to steal. You can't burglarize a house that's just sticks. I mean, uh, well, you could go in and rip out the copper if it's in there or something like that. But there's no world in which he's jogging down the street with a bunch of copper from this thing. Well, he's also empty-handed. We should have said that from the beginning. He's clearly empty-handed. So whatever they think he's done, he certainly hasn't done that day. Uh, And there's just no justifying this, Jim. I I mean, I agree with you. I think the video 
Uh, seems as though we know the full story. Obviously, there's always a defense. Uh, you always want to hear from the people first, and we need a thorough police investigation. And that should have happened from the beginning. And the fact that it didn't was wrong and certainly justifies people's outrage and people's concern that it represents bias uh, and bigotry and racism against a Black victim. And so I agree with that 100%. And I, I have a lot of faith in Vic Reynolds director of the GBI, and I believe that he will get to the bottom of it. I'm so pleased that literally while we were recording, uh, Vic's people have gone out and arrested these two men who seem to be responsible for the unlawful killing of 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery, and I hope we get to the bottom of it soon, and we are definitely going to keep following this. Absolutely, and our hearts go out to the Arbery family and to Ahmad's friends and and relatives, it's just it's just terribly sad. And today would have been been Ahmed Arbery's 26th birthday, and I'm sure this is going to be a very extremely sad day. And I know that a lot of people have talked about going out for a run today to keep Ahmed Arbery in our memories and to keep this case alive and to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. Well said, Jim. And certainly my thoughts and prayers go out to his family because they're suffering today and will for a long time to come. So thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And until next time, signing off on Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba and hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's D, the number two, L, dot org. Ooh,